Our Bible reading shall be taken from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the, dark, and the, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the water and to separate water from waters. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and gathered waters he called sea. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruits with seeds in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seeds in it, in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be light in the vaults of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. Let, and let them be lights in the vaults of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vaults of the sky to give light, to the, to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth according to, across the vaults of the sky. So God created the, God created the great creatures on the sea and every living thing with which the water team, teems and that move above and that move above in it according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the sea, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kind, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, 
and the wild animals, each according to its kind, and it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the living creatures according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seeds in it that will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he has made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus, the heaven and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God has finished the work he has been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the works of creating that he had done. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mercy. If I can ask you to uh, keep your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 1 um, and to 2, 3. We're going to start this new series on God's big story, but let's pray that God will speak to us this morning. Lord, we thank you that you are God who has created us, for uh, that you have designed us, and that you have loved us. And we pray, uh, we thank you that you have created us, you've created the world with your word, by the power of your word, and we pray now that your word will speak to us and bring life um, to where we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Imagine a story. Imagine a story where every character do not know who they are. They don't know who they are, every single one. They don't know where they're from, and they don't know where they're going. Imagine that story. Imagine how confusing that would be. Every single character would be asking themselves, who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? Who made me? Who made me? Why am I here? How can I be happy? What am I supposed to do? What's good? What's evil? What should I be doing each day? What is life all about? And what, uh, you might even ask, they might even ask, what determines gender? <laughs> what is man and women? Now, all this confusion is generated 
Because the world doesn't have a coherent story of who we are, where we come from. In this confusion, there are many voices, people who put their, put their vision of what life is supposed to be, what their vision of purpose is supposed to be. And they create more confusion because there is no authority that tells us what life is about. And it causes violence in the world as well. Friends, we can be certain about these questions as Christians because in the beginning, God created the world. In the beginning, God created the world. The beginning of the world is revealed to us. And not only the beginning of the world, the Bible tells us why we are the way that we are, why we strive in this why, how death and sin entered into this world. The Bible tells us where we're going, how the world will end. This story of the Bible, this grand story of the Bible is the story that answers all questions, all deep questions of our life. It's a story that makes sense of all these other stories. This is how C.S. Lewis put it. Christian theology, I would say Christian story, can fit in science, art, morality, and the sub-Christian religions. I think it just means other religions. The scientific point of view cannot fit in any of these things, not even science itself. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. The sunlight enables you to see everything else. The story of the Bible makes sense of the world, makes sense of our longings, makes sense of the world, how it is, and why it is the way it is. And we need to pay attention. And so then for the next nine weeks, uh, with a, a break, um, uh, we're going to review. We're going to go through the God's big story, the story that gives meaning to the world. And today is about that perfect beginning. Perfect beginning. It shows us who God is and what the creation is, who we are meant to be, what the world was meant to be like. Now, when we read the first few pages of the Bible, it's easy to bring our modern questions into it. Like we have people ask, well, it was, what, what is this day? How can the, the day be created? Without, uh, how, how can light and darkness be created without the sun? Um, was it 24 days? Uh, how long ago exactly was this? How do dinosaurs fit in into all of this? And I think to ask such questions is to ask maybe, I, I think, a genre mistake, a category mistake. Because I don't think, you can disagree on this, I won't die um, on, on the hill uh, for, for this, but I think these, these, this story in these opening pages are not a scientific account or a historical account of how the world was created. I think that's more of a poetic account of how the world was created. It's a literal, uh, it's a more literary account. And, and I say that because there are, like a good song or like a good poetry, it's got a certain repeated lines, aren't there? You know, according to its kind, it was good, it was good, it was good. These lines are repeated again and again. And also, it seems that, to me that the form dictates the content. Uh, you know, like in a poetry, uh, the form dictates how you're supposed to write. Right? And there is a certain form and pattern to this, the creation account, it seems to me. If you look at uh, the first three days, it's about the realms. It's about the spheres. And the next three days, last three days, um, four, five, six, 
uh, it, God fills the realms with the same kinds of things. What I mean is this. First day, he creates a realm of light and darkness. Once again, up without sun and the moon and the, uh, the, 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 the stars. But on the fourth day, sun and the moon and the stars are created. God creates the spheres and God fills it on the fourth day. And the second day is similar. He creates the sky and the sea. And on the fifth day, he fills them. He creates the birds and uh, the, the fish. And, and day three, he creates the realm of land, and he fills it with a vegetation. No living things are there. No animals are there. On the sixth day, God creates people. God creates the animals who will live in that land. You see, I think there is, this form dictates how um, the, the, the telling of the story, the creation story, which seems to me makes it more uh, literary, more poetic than a historical and scientific account. But don't mistake me saying that, this, that just because it's created in this way or it's written in this way, that it's not true, that it should be ignored. Of course not. It's God's word spoken to us, written for our benefit. It tells us something that are true. In fact, I think it tells us something that are even more important than how exactly the world was created. And for example, the basic question that people are asking, who created the world? Well, it answers that question, doesn't it? It says God created the world. God created the world. The word God is repeated 35 times in the first 34 verses. Nothing is created without God. No matter how he created it, it's God who created it. Nothing can be done. Nothing is created apart from God. Nothing happens unless he makes it happen. And it also tells us that the creation is not neutral, that it is good, that it is very good. That line is repeated again and again. It is good. It was good. It was good. And at the end of the sixth day, God looks at the world and goes, this is very good. It's very good. In many worldviews, like Hinduism and Buddhism and many thoughts of, sort of Gnosticism and Greek philosophy, the world is not good. It's something to escape. This is not where we're meant to be. You need to reach a level where you escape from this world. Not so with Christianity. Christianity says that the world is good. God created the world to be good, that we are embodied beings and we're meant to live in a creation, created physical world like this. That's why heaven is not our ultimate destination. If we end up in heaven, it is a stopover until the new creation comes. The world matters to God. It should matter to us as well. Of course, this has the implication of we ought to be taking care of the world. That We ought to be in the forefront of environmental conservation and responsible development. And this is also an account that speaks volumes of who God is, his power and of his grace as well. Just think about the power of God's word in this account. God speaks. And what happens? I don't know how many stars there are, but stars are born. God speaks. I mean, I speak, and my kids do not do the things that I ask them to do. But God speaks, and life arises. The world appears. 
God is God of great power. His word has great power. And think about the world that he created and what that says about, um, about him. Think of the immense diversity and the beauty of the world and what that says about God. This is how a theologian Christopher Watkin put it. God has not created a world with just enough sustenance, sustenance, variety, and abundance for survival. But God created a super abundant world, fit to foster the flourishing of his creatures. He has not limited supply to the law of demand. Why have one or even 1,000 species when you can have estimated 8.7 million species? Why create a monochrome world if you can make a human eye that can distinguish between 7 to 10 million shades of colors? And stars don't even go there. Astronomers estimate about three, uh, there are about 300 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone and perhaps 2 trillion galaxies. God is God of abundance, of grace, overflowing power and beauty and love. And that is the world that we see. And of course, that's why we're here today, to worship God, to worship Him. Most people recognize the grandeur of the nature. Some people see that there's something divine in it, and so they worship it. Some religions say that we're part of our mother nature. It's the nature that created us. Some religions say that we're part of the nature, like everything else, like mountains and streams and insects, and they don't even dare to kill an ant or, or, or an insect as a result. We're all part of this nature, they say. Writer G.K. Chesterton says that our nature is not our mother because we share the same father, we're siblings, he says. He writes, nature is a sister, even a younger sister, a little dancing sister to be laughed at as well as loved. You see, our nature is not our mother. It didn't give birth to us. God gave birth to us. God gave birth to the nature. It's to be loved and admired and to look, looked, looked after, to be uh, laughed at, he says, and, and, and as well as loved. But we are to worship God who created the nature, created everything in the world, because they sing, they are singing. The nature is singing God's praises as well as we should be singing God's praises. God alone is the object of worship. To worship anything else in the creation is idolatry. In fact, um, but this, in, in, in this account, when God makes everything else, um, he ma when he makes us, it, it, it's, it's very clear that human beings are made in a very special way, that we are set apart. Remember, with all the other things, God just speaks, and the, the, the whole universe comes, comes into being. But there is a deliberate planning and thought to making of human beings. Before God makes human beings, remember in verse 26, he says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over all these things. God deliberates and God thinks and God plans before making us. We're set apart in that way. And we're also set apart also by being made in God's image. We're made in the image of God. 
Well, what does that mean, that we're made in the image of God? Lots of ink uh, spilled for this, but uh, let me just highlight two things. We're made to be in relationship with Him, and we're made to rule over His creation. We're made to be in relationship with Him. Here's a picture of Tommy. I think he's really good looking. But who does he look like? (laughs) Me or Mary? Well, I mean, you know, I think he looks, I mean, I, 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 I said he's really good looking, but I think he looks like me. <laughs> but, you know, that's the first question that we ask when we see babies, don't we? When we see babies, we go, oh, he kind of looks like you, or he kind of looks like mom or, or dad, because this image bearing implies a relationship, an intimate relationship, a father-son, mother-son, the parent-child relationship. And when God created us in His image, it implies that sort of relationship with Him too. We're made for a special relationship with God. We're made to have this relationship, to have God as our Father and us, His children. And we also know that because when God created everything, God speaks the world into existence. God speaks to the world. But with Adam and Eve, he speaks with them. God has a relationship with them. Of course, this is also the reason why all human beings have dignity, because we're all made in God's image. You know, this idea of dignity of human being, that every human being has dignity, is not a self-evident idea, despite what Thomas Jefferson wrote. Right? It's not a self-evident idea. In fact, throughout the history, all cultures discriminated. Right? Every single one. They, people, people said, "Well, some of these people are some of people are some some of these people are are smart. They're nobility, and they they, they can do things." They, we discriminated by ability, by race, by wealth, or whatever ways we discriminated people because that seemed what was natural. That everybody has this equal worth and dignity. That's not a self-evident idea. It's a Christian idea. It's a Judeo-Christian idea that says every single human being, no matter their ability, no matter their race, or no matter where they come from, actually has this divine imprint of God's image. They are precious because they're made in God's image. And to think that anyone, no matter who they are, no matter whether they're they're your enemies or whatnot, to think of anyone as less than somebody who bears God's image, well, that's to devalue them. It's to dehumanize them. But why, then, does God make us in His image? Well, to rule. To rule, not just for the relationship, but to rule over the world. So in verse 26, you know, let us make so that they may rule over all things, over all the good world that God has created. God gives them later this charge, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves move on the ground. They were, we were created to rule over the world. At the height of the British Empire, governors, civil servants were sent to different parts of the empire to rule over them. 
these men, and they're mostly men, they were groomed, they were selected, they were educated, they were trained specifically so that they could go and represent the queen's rule over them. Right? In, a similar, in a similar way, we're created, we're picked and chosen, we're given the image of God, the ability to imagine, to create, and to make moral judgments, to love, to do all these complicated things that only human beings can do so that we might rule over the world on God's behalf, that we might rule like him. We're God's vice regents. And of course, that's what it also means to subdue the world. The, Hebrew, the English word subdue has this sort of violence um, uh, tinge to it. But the Hebrew word does not have that sort of idea of violence. It just means to bring under subjection, under the rule. So when God says, fill the earth and subdue it, what it means is fill the earth and extend my rule to every corner of the earth, extend God's rule, and that is our mandate. And in order to extend God's rule, to bring God's rule to the ends of the earth, they were commanded to have children because the two weren't going to be enough. Increase in number, so childbearing is God-given work. And if you are um, a stay-at-home mother, stay-at-home father, you are doing the work of God there. We continue to have children and raise them up. So that, and, and, and raise them up and disciple them so that they would be people who rule, who serve the world on God's behalf. But in the New Testament times, we also know that this isn't just about childbearing, right? Uh, we have arguably many children around, the, uh, many people uh, around the world. Um, and uh, to extend God's rule in the, under the New Testament is to evangelize to share the good news of Jesus with those who don't know it so that they might come under the rule of Christ, that they might live under the rule of Christ and care for the world um, in that way. Apostle Paul, for example, is named the father to Timothy, right? And many others because he has many spiritual children. And that's something that all of us can and should be doing, making spiritual children to be fruitful in this way so that people who don't, don't know God yet might come, come under the rule of Christ. Friends, I wonder if this is something that you are consciously doing in your uh, parenting. In your parenting, are you raising your kids to be under the lordship of Jesus so that they might be people who extend God's rule over the world? Are we sharing our faith with others so that they too might come to know uh, God's kingdom and be in God's kingdom. And also this command to, is to bring God's rule over the world, which means um, also God's culture uh, to the world. It's a cultural mandate to fill the earth with God's culture, God's kingdom. Imagine what Hong Kong would be like if Christians in power were to brought, bring God's kingdom to our spheres of influence. Uh, what if your work, workplace, what, how would your workplace look different if you exercised whatever power that you have to serve and to love and bring God's rule in your workplace? What would your company's accounting practices look like? 
about the culture in your school, in your um, office and, and company? And how about your home? What if you were, you were a parent, mom and dad, who were very consciously trying to bring God's culture in your home? How would it, how would it look different? We're God's stewards, and that's what we are to do, to bring God's rule wherever we are. Because what we see in these pages, in the first opening pages, is fullness of God's kingdom, the way that it was supposed to be. Everything under God's rule in perfect, um, in, in perfect manner. And of course, and that's what we're made to live in. Uh, that, and that's what the seventh day points to. And the climax and the pinnacle of this creation account is not making of human beings. It's the seventh day. That is the pinnacle and the creation. Pinnacle of the creation. At the end of the sixth day, you get this great line, don't we? It was very good. Everything was perfect. People's relationship with God was perfect. People's relationship with one another was perfect. People's relationship with the world and the creation was perfect. Everything was in this harmony, what the Bible calls shalom, the peace, the peace. It was the way it was supposed to be. And after God creates everything, and he sees the world that's very good. He calls it very good. And on the seventh day, he blesses the seventh day, and he rests. And you get the sense of divine sigh, right? You look at the, he looks at the world, and he goes, this is so good. Ah, I'm going to enjoy it. And remember, the human beings were created at the end of sixth day. They were created at the end of sixth day, and they opened their eyes, and what they saw was a perfect world. And the first thing that they did was to enjoy God's perfect world. That was how their life began. But actually, it's not just how they were supposed to begin. That life was supposed to continue. Because did you notice that every single day here in this account, day one through six, ends, uh, that, that account ends with it was night and it was morning, and first day, second day, third day. But on the seventh day, it doesn't end. It doesn't have this, it was the evening and it was morning, seventh day. No, there is this sense that the blessedness of the Sabbath rest, the perfectness, that harmonious nature, that shalom nature of the whole creation, the whole world, was the world that we're meant to live in, and it was meant to continue forever. It wasn't that the day one didn't come again. No, but day one was supposed to be enjoyed in that perfection. Day one through six, friends, we're made for that rest. We're made for that world. But of course, as we look at the world, we see a world that's broken, full of sin, full of evil, full of uh, uh, death uh, as well. But these are intrusions. They're not meant to be that way. And we'll hear more about that next week. But if we did not know how the world began, you might actually be excused for thinking, actually, maybe that was how it's supposed to be. You know, this sort of Chinese philosophy, yin-yang, you know, good and evil, that balance itself out, and it's sort of always in the world. 
You know, we might be, be excused to think, uh, of, of thinking that that is how it's supposed to be. Friends, that is not how it's supposed to be. Evil should not exist in this world. Sin should not exist in this world. Death should not exist in this world. We are made for a world far better than that. And that's what the Bible story is about. It, it'll tell us then how we fell and although this story of um, creation is just first few pages, the first couple of chapters, but the rest of the Bible then will explain to us how we fell and what God has done to rescue us, to bring us back to this eternal rest. And this uh, Jesus has come to give us that rest, to bring us to that rest. This is Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Friends, in this confusing world, in this world filled with strife and sin, come and find Jesus. Come and rest in him. You'll get a foretaste of what's to come. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your revelation that you have revealed to us where we are from, who we are, and where we are going. And we thank you through the story of the Bible. You have told us how much loved we are, how we're loved from the beginning of the creation, how you made us to be in this good world, and what you have done to bring us back to it. Lord, help us to come to know you deeper. Help us to come to know you, your love and power and beauty deeper, that we might be uh, people who rest in you, who might be able to people, be, be a people who rest in your goodness, even in the midst of uh, this evil world. Lord, help us to enjoy you. Uh, help us to be a signpost of what's coming in the future. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.